0: Father God, we thank you for our pastor and his wife. We thank you for all the years and time that they've put in here, Lord, and the way that you've blessed it and just uh, mightily inspired them and the rest of the people who have been here of keeping this thing, looking forward and being blessed and giving you the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So this is a little bit of a background and um, introduction to chapter 49. I put a lot down, so I'm thinking, okay. But there's a lot of details. The, The world out there today thinks Israel is the Israel that was established in 1948 when President Truman went to the UN, and the UN decided to allot Israel the land that was over there where they are now the people that were there were the Arabs, the Christians, and the Jews. Not in the numbers that are there today. And then that began the reclamation of that country. At that time it was pretty sparse. You go over there today and you're blown away by what they have. They have everything. They have every fruit, every vegetable. They have the best chicken and the best beef. It tastes like the beef I had when I was a kid. Doesn't have 2,000 adamants to it, you know, where, you know, it just lost its flavor. So, so that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the history of Israel, and we're going to look at the, um, the evaluation, and we're going to look at that in light of ourselves. So the beginning of the history begins back in the fa- family of Israel with a man named Abram. Abram was called by God out of a pagan place called Ur, Ur of the Chaldees which is in uh, Iraq, by the way. What's known about Ur is that it was the city uh, called Tal Amukwaya, I think. It was an important city of ancient southern Mesopotamia, situated about 140 miles southeast of Babylon and about 10 miles west of the present bed of the Euphrates River. Ur is also the name of a place where Abraham was living, and God spoke to him, telling him to leave Ur. He went into a pagan place, he took out this man, and he asked him to go to the land of Canaan, which later would become known as Israel. So, mentioned in the Bible as the hometown of Abraham, around 2000 B.C. was the center of wealth, and education, and trade. It was a very rich place had a lot of things that were not there from from other places. And um, the city was very advanced. And Abraham had, had his growing up there, so to speak. That began Abraham's journey with God. We all have a journey. We have to start somewhere with the Lord. As God had a purpose and a plan for him. And it was laid out like he has a pur- purpose and a plan for everybody sitting here or standing here this morning. Along the way, God would enter into a covenant with Abram, and at that time change his name to Abraham, as described in Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17 verse 4 says, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. This is the covenant coming from God. A conditional or bilateral covenant, is an agreement that is binding on both parties for for fulfillment. Both parties agree to fulfill certain conditions. Um, If either party fails, the covenant is voided. An unconditional or unilateral covenant is an agreement between two parties, but only one of the two parties has to do something. Nothing is required of the other party. So this is coming from God directly to Abraham. An Abrahamic covenant is, in fact, an unconditional covenant. And it's explained in Genesis 12, verse 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. These are the things he's saying, what he's going to do. I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. I'm going to raise them up. And you shall be a blessing. That's a great thing when people can say that to us. You've been a blessing to me, or you get a blessing from somebody. And I will bless those. And this is a key item today, what's going on in the world, especially the United States. The next part of the verse is, Uh, Verse 3, and I will bless those who bless you. That's a statement straightforward. And the one who curses you, I will curse. We want to be on the side of Israel based upon that statement and many more things. And then you and all the families of the earth will be blessed. This began a long time ago. And a lot of things have happened to Israel over the years. In uh, Genesis 17, verse 5, it says, Neither shall thy name be called Abraham. This is when he changes it. It's a transition. But thy name shall be Abraham, for our father of many nations have I made. And that's what his name means, father of many nations. So part of the covenant is that Abraham and Sarah, his wife, will have a son. Also, Abraham will be given, and I underline this, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. We're going to talk about that border in a little while. It's not there today completely. And the complete covenant is an everlasting covenant. What does that word? What does everlasting mean? Forever. There are seven distinct parts of the covenant. We all know the story Abraham and Sarah decide to help God out. God, you know, we're waiting a while here, we want to have a child. They decide to go out of the way to do something for God. And Abraham had a son called Ishmael with Sarah's handmaid called Hagar. Stepped out of the, the will of God at that time. This is not God's plan. God allowed it to happen, but it wasn't his plan. The plan has God has is for Sarah to become pregnant and Abraham and Sarah to have a son, Isaac, was born where Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah 90 years old think about that I'm hobbling around at my age and I'm not close to 100 years old I don't know if I'll ever make it but what what matters is God can do anything this fulfills God's word from Genesis chapter 18 verse 14 it says is anything too hard for God and that's something that we should think of today all have things going on in our life some of them are troublesome some of them are really difficult but the thing we should look at and say to ourselves and pray to god is is there anything too hard for god what's the answer to that we already know it no god is always there never leaves the one who slips away is me or you so abraham has the son of promise and namely isaac and he marries a woman named Rebecca. They will now have two sons, Esau and Jacob. In Genesis chapter 25, we're told that Rebecca is having twins. The first to appear in that birth is Esau. But holding on to his heel is the second son named Jacob. He's an ambitious little man even in the womb. He knows as he's known as the heel catcher. Imagine that, holding on to the other child's heal. Wow. As they grow, we see Jacob, a devo- a devious person, and uh, convinces Esau to sell his birthright for a bowl of soup, pottage. You can see what kind of person uh, Jacob is by things like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sometime later, Jacob steals the father's blessing that was due for the first child. From Esau, when Jacob and his mother deceive Jacob's father, Isaac, by passing off Jacob as Esau, the result is that Isaac bestows his blessing on Jacob. And once it happens, it can't be pulled back. Later on, we see the Lord appear to Jacob in a dream, and the Lord confirms the Abrahamic covenant with him, with Jacob. So it's passing along Abraham to Jacob. And now Jacob marries two sisters, Leah and Rachel, They each have a handmaiden who Jacob will father children with. Out of these four unions come the 12 sons of Israel, our Jacob. In the meantime, in chapter 32 of Genesis, we find that Jacob has a wrestling match with a man from night till morning. It's a pretty big thing. You ever try to wrestle? It's a a sport that wears you out very quickly. Pastor Bill was a wrestler in high school. He can tell you, but he's told us from the pulpit how it is. Jacob wrestles and would not let go of the man until he blessed him. And the man said, as recorded in Genesis chapters 31, verses 27 and 29. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. This is the transition now from going from Jacob to Israel. For you have contended with God and with men and prevailed. Wow. And Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he just blessed him there. So Jacob is now Israel. He has 12 sons. And he begins to turn his life from evil ways to God's ways. It's in a transition. I think that wrestling match taught him a lot. We wrestle with the Lord. We wrestle with things. Ah oh, Lord, I don't really don't want to do that. No, this is what I want you to do, you know, but but I really don't like it. It doesn't matter what we like. The only thing that matters is what God wants us to do and how he wants to do it. And we learn how to get joy in that also. His sons through, though are living their lives, some with honor and some with dishonor. As a result we see that his son Joseph Israel's favorite son is sold off into slavery by his brothers and ends up in Egypt. Interesting family. Let's get rid of the kid that had the multicolored coat. Right? We don't want him around. They were jealous. Joseph is a man of God and he faces trials and turmoil in his life. But always keeps the faith in God. No matter what our trial, what our tribulation is, we have to keep our eyes on the Lord. As long as our eyes are on the Lord, we won't deviate. Is it difficult? Yeah, it's difficult. But life itself is not really just a ride through it, an easy ride in an air-conditioned vehicle, sitting back drinking lemonade. It's really, there's things that go on. There's things that go on in our family that we have to deal with. So just like Jacob is dealing with, or Israel is dealing with his sons, so as a result, he ends up being second in command in Egypt. God is blessing him. He takes them up there. God has a plan about Egypt, how long they're going to be there, and how Moses will take them out of there many, many years later. A famine's great in Canaan, and the sons of Israel go there to purchase food. This is the Lord taking care of his people again. They do not recognize Joseph, but Joseph knows them and creates a situation. Where the whole family of Israel moves to Egypt and the Pharaoh gives them the best land called Goshen. And the brothers are all together again with their father. Even the Pharaoh gave them the best land and give it to his own people. It's another blessing. This is God's plan of separating the nation of Israel away from the pagan people. So the influence of the pagans wouldn't be in their life. And also Egypt, because the Egyptians wanted no part of shepherds and were fine with them being away from the Egypt. They were the lowest form of humanity in Egypt. We're going to put you over there as shepherd. All you do is take care of sheep. It's a beautiful job. Jesus is our shepherd. We're a sheep. I have the sound on my, my phone as a sheep. That's to remind me who I am. People here and that's an opening to say, let me tell you about the sheep and the shepherd. So from this era, they would remain in Egypt for four generations of 400 years and eventually be led out of Egypt by Moses. By the time of Exodus, they were millions of people of the nation of Israel crossing the Red Sea and starting out for the promised land, millions. However, in today's scripture, we will go back to the time that Israel or Jacob is close to death. He's ready to lay down and die, so to speak, and go home to be with the Lord. And he will now give his blessing to the 12 sons according to the way that they had lived their lives. This is a key. The way that anybody lives their lives, the way that we live our lives. You know, in a little while, we're going to look and say, well, how do I live my life? Against what God has required of me. And we all have a different answer because we're all unique to God himself. So, um, Genesis chapter 49. Roughly half of the book of Genesis is devoted to the messy, complicated life of Jacob. Jacob. Jacob is the final patriarch. there was Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob <clears throat> excuse me the men who gave birth to the entire nation of Israel. It's time for a drink. So he frequently brought his family misery, and yet he also demonstrated remarkable growth, maturity. He relied on God for protection. He worshiped God in the midst of trial and calamity. It's so encouraging to see Jacob in such a good place at the end of his life. It's a reminder that Lord holds out the blessing of sanctification for us. We start as saved step by step. We're sanctified by the Lord. We come more in depth in the scripture. We come more understanding. We know how to treat people better. We love people better. Things come along, we know how to handle them. As we walk with the Lord, we grow like him. So we earn our merit badge, so to speak, experience the discipline of the Lord, and we profit from it. And so it required required the Lord to turn a disobedient Jacob into the obedient Israel. He needed to be that way so he could lead the people. And his influence would carry on to the 12 tribes, and beyond that, it's carried on till this day. The 12 tribes of Israel aren't just in Israel. They're scattered throughout the world. They're all over the place. They have a huge nation, huge nation when you bring this back together. So as we enter chapter 49, Jacob's on his deathbed. And in verse 1, Jacob summoned his own son and said, assemble yourselves that I may tell you what will befall you in the days to come. So as the chapter begins, Jacob summons his sons, and he says that, um, in Hebrew, the phrase says, what will befall Israel in the latter days is the things that he's trying to say of what you're leading to and what the result of it will be. So Jacob is going to speak a specific prophetic blessing concerning each tribe in Israel. And if we look today, this is kind of how they live and who they are. It's their personality. Jacob begins with Reuben his firstborn son of Leah. This isn't in the order of birth, it's in the order of, of uh, 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 the birth through, through Leah. So in Genesis 42, it says, Gather together and hear, O son of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Uncontrolled as water, you shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed, and then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Jacob doesn't proceed in exact birth order. Instead, he addresses the sons of each wife, then moving to the two concubines, and then ending with the sons of Rachel. Under normal circumstances, we should have expected Reuben to receive the birthright and the blessing. But Reuben is given a rebuke, so he can't receive it. Jacob first says that Reuben was the firstborn, the beginning of Jacob's strength. In Hebrews, Jacob says Reuben was boiling over like water, which suggests Reuben's uncontainable lust and undisciplined nature. It's not going to put him in the lead of the nation of Israel. He was disqualified from receiving these blessings in the inheritance because of his lust. For of all people, his father's wife. So Reuben's prophecies are reminded that men and women who do not act to discipline the flesh and control their lusts run the risk of disqualifying themselves of many blessings that the Lord has to offer. So Jacob took note, and now he holds Reuben accountable. And likewise, the tribe of Reuben never produces anyone of significance in the life of Israel. We don't hear about any great people or leaders coming out of this this, uh, son's family. No judge, no prophet, no leader. In fact, Moses prays in Deuteronomy that Reuben's tribe would fade away since it was so small and shrunk. It didn't grow, it reduced. The only way we can grow is to be with the Lord and follow the Lord. Genesis 49, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are implements of violence. Let my soul not enter into their council. Let not my glory be united with their assembly. Because in their anger they slew men, and in their self will they lamed oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath for it is cruel. And I will dispense them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. That's what he's going to tell. He's going to scatter them all over the place. Next, Jacob deals with the second and third sons of Leah. Uh, They said that they were defending their sister's honor, but their motives were evil, according to Jacob. Their sister got raped by a certain individual, and they wanted to go back and take revenge. And they did, and they went outside of God's will. They had vengeance and wrath in their hearts, and they reacted in anger. They murdered men and they made animals lame. They basically destroyed a city. The judgment falls on their seed so that it would be scattered. We placed all over the place. Neither Simeon nor Levi received land of their own. Instead they lived entirely inside other tribes' lands. The Levites were the priests. They didn't have their land, they had pieces of land within the other um, sons' land. Historians have noted that these individual sons of Jacob seem to pass their personalities onto their respective tribes. Kings would not arise from these lions after their nature. Kings with the immoral nature and unrestrained emotions of these men. So come to verse 8. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp. That's a key word, and as a lion who dares rouse up, rouse him up, the sceptre shall not depart from Judah, nor the rule of staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Who do you think Shiloh is? Jesus Christ, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. He ties his foal for the vine, and his donkeys cult to the choice vine, he washes his garments in wine and his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are dull from wine, and his teeth white from milk. So what does all that mean? At this point, I imagine Jacob's son's fidgeting, beginning to wonder if he was going to give any son a positive blessing. But then it came time for Judah's blessing. Judah is the first true blessing, along with Joseph. It's the longest blessing. So in verse 8, Jacob awards Judah with the prominence over his brothers. This was the closest the sons got to appointing a patriarch to replace Jacob. In this case, an entire tribe received the prominence with the family. So we see clearly Lord intended to give Israel kings. The son of Israel in in 1 Samuel wasn't the desire for a king. It was the rejection of Lord's rule and the vain desire for a king. They asked for the wrong reasons. So God gave them a king from Benjamin who was Saul for the wrong reason so God gave them what they wanted they didn't understand what they wanted or they did but they backed away from it and that impatience cost the nation dealing eventually the Lord brought the king he intended through Judah namely a shepherd boy who took care of the sheep who killed Goliath he wasn't a big guy but God empowered him to do things that were just beyond his stature And God gives us the same type of gifts as we go through this life. But more importantly, on a godly spiritual level, he gave them Jesus. He gave that tribe Jesus. And you see in Matthew that the line of Jesus and all the people were there. And a lot of people weren't perfect. None of them were. But, you know, this is how God works. We learn a lot from that. And know and don't get discouraged when we have hard times or we get into trouble or we do something really dumb because the Lord knows and the Lord will forgive us if we come and ask for forgiveness. Of course, Jacob's promise speaks of an eventual decision, the Messiah who will reign over all Israel and the world. That's coming. It's coming in the future. Can't wait for it to come, but in the meantime... We need to be about the Lord's work. We need to be sharing the word with anybody. Our office workers, you know, people that we see on the street, the grocery store, whatever. You know, pray about it and say, Lord, please give me a couple of words right now. I want to witness to that person. And you go over there, knees knocking and shaking a little bit. And all of a sudden, there's peace because the Holy Spirit is with us. And it can happen. We need to to uh, witness to as many people as we can when we're given permission by the Lord to do that. Just don't ramshackle you go about doing it. You say, Lord, is it time? Yes, go ahead. Of course, Jacob's promise speaks of an eventual decision. Here we see the seed of promise for the Messiah. The promise is given to Judah exclusively in verse 9. Judah is promised great power. Who's going to be the most powerful one from the tribe of Judah? Jesus Christ. He can do anything. Look at the miracles he did. He spoke to things and they became or people, they became alive again. He touched somebody. Somebody touched his his clothes and they were healed. It tells us a lot. It tells us that we need to go to Jesus to heal. And everything that He puts out there for us. Judah is compared to a lion for the first time. I love that look of the lion, you know, with the hair out and looking. It's like power. The lion is a very interesting animal. Like a lion, Judah will have power, authority, and mastery over all adversaries. It's going to happen. A fitting picture for the coming Messiah who is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. Verse 10, the kingship of Judah is further revealed. The scepter shall never depart from Judah, meaning the tribe will reign without end over Israel. And the staff does not depart between his feet, which is a picture of a judge ruling from a seat of judgment. When he comes and puts his foot on the Mount of Olives and he proceeds to the east gate of the Temple Mount and he walks in there, woohoo! the victory begins. And it's going to be an interesting time for the world. The word Shiloh is an interesting Hebrew word. It can be translated who, he whose right it is. The right of the leadership, Jesus, is that person to lead. The Septuagint, Syriac, and Dead Sea Scrolls all translate this verse in a way. It means the tribe of Judah will rule over Israel until the one whose right it is to come to take up the throne. It's a reference to Jesus' arrival to rule. While the tribe of Judah will rule over Israel, once Messiah comes, there will be no more succession of rule. That's it. It's going to be him. So now Jacob blesses the next six sons with brief mentions of each. and uh, Starting in verse 13. Sebulun will dwell at the seashore, and he shall be a haven for ships. And his flank shall be towards Sidon. It's the direction that he's going to look. And he's not going to be a surfer, okay, even though he's going to the seashore. Issachar is a strong donkey lying down between the sheepfold. When he saw that a resting place was good and the land was pleasant, he bowed his shoulders to bear burdens and became a slave at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way. He's going to get in trouble. A horn snake in the path that bites the horse's heel. What happens when you bite a horse's heel? Can't stand, right? Falls over. So that rider falls backwards. For your salvation I wait, O Lord, as for Gad. Raiders shall raid him, but he will raid at their heels. He's a very good soldier. As far as Asherah, his food shall be rich, and he will yield royal dainties. Naphtali is a doe let loose. He gives beautiful words. He ended up in mountainous territory. What do you see in the mountains? Deer. They have great feet. They don't lose their footing very easily. For Zebulun, Jacob says the tribe will dwell at the seashore on the border of Sidon, the historical land of the Phoenicians. The problem is the territory assigned to Zebulun in the book of Joshua doesn't border the sea. However, somebody will say, well, that's not true. Well, we have the answer for that. The tribe is entirely landlocked. On the other hand, in Ezekiel, which is the prophet, describes the territory of each tribe during the millennial. And in that age to come, Zebulun does have territory on the sea and in the northwest corner of the nation. That means Israel is going to have it back in their hands. And in that age to come, exactly where Jacob says it will be, that's exactly where it's going to be. Remember these instructions concern the latter days. This is further proof that the promises of God for Israel await the coming kingdom on earth. The tribe of Dan produced Samson. I'd say he was a pretty interesting individual also. The most prominent of the judges. As long as he had his hair and he was keeping his eye on the Lord instead of keeping his eye on the flesh, he ruled. He took care of people. He ripped a lion in pieces. He did things that people weren't doing in those times. God blessed them with that. But why? So the people would see the power of the Lord in him and wonder where he got it from. And Dan began the rebellion that eventually split the nation of Israel into Judah and Israel. Jacob alludes to these outcomes when he says that Dan is a serpent in the way of the nation. What does a serpent do? A rattlesnake if you come along and he bites you? He bit at the horse's heels causing Israel's downfall, falling back. Interestingly, Dan is not listed among the tribes of Revelation 7 when the 144,000 Jews are called to evangelize the world. And you've heard it many times. You've heard it from Pastor Bill up here. 144,000 Billy Grahams that are Jewish going all over the world and preaching. And they're protected. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. You know, what are people going to think? They better listen to him. So um, Dan's exclusion is often assumed to be punishment, but I wonder if it has more to do with the tribe's name. Remember, Jesus said that until he returns for judgment, the times are devoted to salvation. John 12, verse 47. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Um, same thing in John 3.17. You know, right after 3.16, he says, I come to save the world, not to condemn it. That's Jesus' mission. Since Dan means to judge, perhaps he was left out of the 144,000 since those men are selected to continue salvation and not judge people for whatever they do and give them the word of God. It isn't time for judgment as yet, though that time will be drawing very near. Finally, Jacob says of Dan that he will await the salvation from the Lord. Despite his failings, his tribe will be included in the kingdom of the rest of Israel, enjoying the salvation of the Lord. Jacob says relatively little about Gad, Asher, and Naphtali. Gad's territory was the easternmost border of Israel across the Jordan. There was three tribes that didn't cross. And they stayed on the other side of the of the Jordan. But they had to go and fight with the other tribes when they went through Jericho and made their way up there to, to gain the land and destroy the pagans. So it was venerable to raids from desert tribes. The tribes were excellent warriors and defended Israel well. And Asherah is given some of the best land in the nation, very fertile ground. It's one thing about Israel. When I flew in there, this is kind of dumb. I must have been really tired or something. I started to look Well, there was two of f sixteens one on each wing, bringing us in and I looked out and I looked at the ground and I looked at the dirt. I have never seen soil; it was black that 's how rich it was, and it amazed me and i mean that 's a nothing thing, but I thought, wow, this is it. and then I saw the, the 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 way that they brought things up through this dirt, like Nobody else has. So as a result, the nation comes to enjoy rich food, and it's the best. Wow. They've got the best of everything. His tribe will produce delicacies for kings. That's pretty good. We all like delicacies, right? For Naphtali, Jacob says the tribe will move like a doe, set loose. You see, watch a doe move, or a, or a buck. It's a reference to the way Naphtali's territory is very mountainous, creating a degree of independence among the tribes. They're footloose and move around like a deer. So we come to verse 22 to 26. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. Its branches run over a wall. The archers bitterly attacked him and shot at him and harassed him. But his bow remained firm and his arms were agile from the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. From the God of your father who helps you and by the almighty who blesses you with blessings heaven above, blessings of the deep that lie beneath, blessings of the breast of the womb, the blessings of your father have surpassed the blessings of my ancestors up to the outmost bound of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of the one distinguished among his brothers. Joseph As you can see, is richly blessed. Remember that blessing was measured in the way uh, Jacob's granted a double portion to Joseph's two sons. But Joseph himself only received Jacob's land in Shechem, but he took care of his family. Nevertheless, the tribe of Joseph, which has become two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh, is the most blessed tribe. Their blessing is pictured as a fruitful tree extending its branches outside the walls of the orchard. Then Jacob remembers the way Joseph was attacked by his brothers and Potiphar, and yet the Lord took care of Joseph. He raised him up. He was the right-hand man of Pharaoh. He took some time in jail. In jail, he probably had time to think about, wow, my brother sent me out here. I'm in jail. What am I going to do? And the Lord spoke to him. And he was able to interpret a dream. And in that way, he got his way out of jail and at the right hand of the pharaoh. And in the end, Joseph became powerful. And then we see Jacob confirms for us that Joseph's life is a divinely inspired picture of the Messiah. He's not the Messiah, but it's a picture of them. Jacob says in the second half of verse 24 that the same hand of God that brought Joseph through these things will do the same for the shepherd, the stone of Israel, Jesus Christ. These are the classic terms for the Messiah. Jacob tells us that what we see in Joseph's life is a pattern for what the Lord will do to bring his Messiah to Israel. Finally, in verse 25 and 26, Jacob speaks of the tremendous blessings Joseph received from the Lord, a blessing that even exceeded that giving to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the only way to understand that statement is see it as one final picture of Christ in the life of Jacob. He poured out his blessings tremendously. But that was going to lead to the tribes that were in in, uh, Egypt to be able to be led out of Egypt by Moses and Aaron through the Red Sea into the wilderness for 40 years. Cross the Jericho into the promised land and then start to take it over. In his glory and his reign on earth, the time when he will bear the crown on his head. So 49, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he devours the prey, and in the evening he divides the spoil. Think of what a wolf does. It just rips its prey apart, its teeth. It's pretty wild. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and it's what the Father said to them when he blessed them. He blessed them everyone with the blessing appropriate to who they were. Benjamin is told he will be a warrior, a warring tribe, often victorious and so successful he would divide the spoils with his brothers. The tribe produced many warriors and typically had a warlike nature. Among others, the tribe produced the judge, King Saul, Jonathan, Mordecai, Esther, and maybe the best soldier of all, the Apostle Paul. Look what he went through. A man got stoned and he and he got up and they led him away and he lived. That's pretty you've got to be pretty tough to take more than one stone in your head, you know, or wherever they hit him. It hurts. But he overcame that by the grace of God. So warriors for the Lord can be powerful ministers, like Paul, or great disappointments, like Saul. So finally in verse twenty eight, Moses confirms these blessings were intended for more than just these boys. So we go to verse 29 to 31, or 33. Then he charged them and said to them, I am about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite that was purchased many, many years before. And then verse 30, in the cave is the field of Machpelah which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan. Everything is specific. You you know, you could go and find that. Which Abraham brought along with the field from Ephron the Hittite for a burial site. There they buried Abraham and his wife Sarah. There they buried Isaac and his wife Rebekah. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it purchased from the sons of Hath. When Jacob finished uh, charging his sons, he drew his feet into the bed and breathed his laugh and was gathered to his people. Think about the end. His feet were over the side of the bed, right? I think about this every night I go to bed. I can't wait to get my feet up there and lay back and the day is over. Or well, sometimes I think it's over, but then something, some idea or something comes into my head. But here he is. He was at peace. That's somebody at peace. He started out, as we said earlier, to be a radical kind of guy. He wrestled and wrestled against the things in his life. But at the end, he came to the Lord in great magnitude. He was a blessing. So in conclusion, there's two categories that we need to address today. When I was going through this, I said, okay, what's in here? Well, there's Jacob's sons, but there's also, we want to know a little about Israel, you know, because people think Israel is just that piece of land that they're in now. And they think that the Gaza is really belonging to the Arabs and people are like it doesn't. Okay. They were, they were sympathetic. They allowed them to do this, but they also knew where they were and they fenced them in because they were sick of them coming across in the tunnels or whatever way they got in and destroying people. It was happening all the time. There was bombs on their back that walked into a crowd and blow people up. You know? The nation of Israel is strong. They believe in God. But they believe in the power that they've seen so many times. They believe the six-day war in 1967. You know? I was in the army. And the sergeant came out and said, Hey, get ready. Get everything ready. We're going to load C-130s. We're going somewhere. said where are we going I'll let you know on Friday okay so we get everything ready and you know we were going to prepare to go somewhere and then the Friday comes out or Saturday I should say or Friday come out and he was disappointed he said everything's over the nation of Israel has won in six days who do you think's on their side the Lord so the nation of Israel, the world right now is lining up against them. Who is Israel? God's chosen people. That's who they are. He chose them. He set them aside. Descendants of Abraham, the father of the Jewish people. Area, that, And this is, uh, people say, well, I have thought that this land is going to be this big. That God gave them, someday, that land will be 300,000 square miles. It's a lot of mileage. It isn't that way today. But we should think of them along those lines. They're big. God is with them. He's going to help them. We need to come and pray for them and be beside them. From the Nile River of Egypt to the Euphrates, to the West Bank, to the Gaza Strip, parts of Egypt, Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, Iraq, and Kuwait. Wow. That is huge. Congress, the Congress of the USA is against them. They're dividing forces right now a lot of them are prone towards gaza and a lot of them are prone towards israel we need to pray that they that they would get a new leader they're looking for a speaker of the house we need to pray for that that it would be a godly man or woman and that he or she would pronounce israel for what it is before the congress at this time our congress is favoring hamas and it's settled in the, in the background of former U.S. political leaders whispering into their ears and telling them what to do. It's not right. They're not representing us, the people. We know who Israel is, and we want them to represent who Israel is. So, and remember, and this is not, nothing to forget, I will bless them that bless you, and I will curse them that curse you. That's pretty heavy. We want to be on the blessing side. That's what we want to be. Why? Because we get the benefit of helping them, and we get the benefit of blessings. As Christians, how do we measure up if we were to receive an evaluation like Jacob gave to his sons, the 12 tribes of Israel? You know, if we were standing before the Lord and he was to evaluate us, we know we're all sinners. But how would that work out? So looking back on Genesis, we have seen many varied lives. Perhaps we can relate to one of them or parts of them. But there is hope in this time to repent and start back on the path. You know, if we've wandered off individually and collectively. If God can take a man like Jacob, a man who schemed his way out of every situation, how much more can he help us? A man who impatiently tried to fix problems his own way. This sounds like guys more than women. You know, oh, I can do that. You know, you're overconfident, but you won't admit you can't do it. A man who fought with God rather than rested in God. If God can take a man like this to the point where he could become so in tune with God that he speaks of future events with stunning clarity. His eyes were nearly gone, but his spiritual vision was unmatched his spiritual vision for the future he saw the future god gave him that blessing then there's a hope for all of us and his name is jesus christ if god can take a man and bring him to the point where he leans back in his bed so confident in god's grace and promises that he welcomes his death then that's pretty good so let's continue with our walk with jesus Let's communicate with Him. How do we communicate? Any way you want. You can formally sit down and do prayer. You can be in your car. You can be running, a jogger. You can be walking. We just need to talk to Him. And He talks to us. And communication from Him is called the Word of God. When we look for things many times, where do we find the answer? All of a sudden, two days later, you come to the You open up your Bible and move a few pages and there's the answer. Or somebody comes along and says, how can I pray for you? And they pray for you. Or they come up and say, you know, I've seen that you look like you're having troubles. You're able to kind of share and ask for that kind of help. So let's see what we can do in our lives when we start and end our day with him. And that's the key issue. Start our day with the Lord, end our day with the Lord. In between is busy. We all have a lot of stuff going on. I've heard from people that have retired, even retired days are busy because there's so much going on. You know, it isn't the work that they were doing previously. It's what's going on then and plus the work of God that God has going on with them during that retirement. So let's let our legacy be known as they loved and followed Jesus as proven through the way that we live our lives. When we die, we want people to say they led a good life. They followed the Lord. They, they brought people, you know, to a point of salvation, and God took over the Holy Spirit and granted that. They raised their family properly. They were good to their next-door neighbor. You know, sometimes that's hard. But the bottom line is, our lives is an example, and believe me, people are looking at us because we're Christians. In everything we do. they're saying, if you say something dumb or, oh, I thought you were a Christian. I am. Well, why did you do that? I made a mistake. And rather, we want to say the things that are right. And through the way we live our life, we'll be a blessing to everybody around us. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for Jesus the great I am, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. We thank you, Lord, for this church that we can come and we can be in the Word of God. We can sing praises. We can meet the people that we met, wonderful people. We've become closer over the years, Lord, and help us become closer even more as the future comes because the times are going to be tough. We know that. So give us the help. Give us the, the ways. Give us the path as a church and individually, that you want us to go. And we give you the praise, the honor, and the glory in all things and always today. In Jesus' name, amen.